The following podcast was recorded on Wednesday, January 5th, 2022, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at biancoresearch.com or arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Talking Data and Happy New Year. Welcome, Jim. I'm Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading, joined today by our presenter, Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. Today, Jim gives us a recap of the stock market in 2021 and what's next. Jim, last year's stock market rally was one of the narrowest we've ever seen. It was driven by the largest stocks in the S&P 500, with five stocks having a heavy influence on returns. Mid-cap, small-cap, and stock markets outside the U.S. failed to beat inflation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and that is really the, the story arc for 2021 in the stock market. And yes, and Happy New Year to you, Kristen, and everybody else listening, too. Uh, if we go to the first chart, there's a statistic that a lot of technical analysts use, and that is the percentage of the S&P 500 companies that are above their 200-day moving average. And I also show the S&P and its 200-day moving average in blue and in orange. Um, the S&P has been above its 200-day moving average all year, and it's been in a strong uptrend and was up 28%. In April, 97% of the members of the S&P were above their 200-day moving average. By December, that was down to 54%, and it finished the year at 74%. So a fully quarter of the stocks were below their 200-day moving average when the index was never close to it. It's about 8% above that average, which is a healthy number to be above it as well, too. So what that suggests is a narrowing leadership in the market. Fewer and fewer stocks are participating in the rally. And to be clear, I mean, people tend to take this absolutist thing. Well, my stock's above zero. Okay, but the index is 28%. And if your stock's up 10, that's not a good year relative to the index. And that's really, this is a relative argument game. So if we go to the next chart, I took the S&P 500 and I broke it down into its 10 deciles. So each, each block is 50 stocks. And what was the average return for each of those? And what you'll notice is and oh i started this chart on march 15th i'll explain that luna in a few minutes why i picked march 15th but let me start with that but what you'll notice is the 10th decile the, the 50th largest stocks returned nearly 26 percent that was the highest and then it trails off from there when you get to the the smallest 50 stocks they actually lost money in the last nine and a half months of the year and you can see there's a progression all the way down the smaller and the smaller the markets the stocks get, the worse and worse they do. And then the final chart, something you teased as well too, is let's go beyond the 500 stocks in the S&P. So let's look at the mid cap index, which is in red, excuse me, in uh, green. And let's look at the Russell, which is in brown, and the world stock market index, XUS. So that's all other stocks in the world, less the US, which is in purple. And the thick black line is the inflation rate. It's again, March 15th. I'll explain why that is in a second. Um, inflation's up 5.9% or call it 6%. The mid cap index, the small cap index, and the rest of the world markets failed to outperform inflation. Actually, if you go back and you look at the S&P, other than the top 200 stocks or so, they failed to outperform inflation. And really, as you mentioned, 
what is dominating the marketplace right now is five huge stocks, Apple, um, Microsoft, Google, um, uh, uh, NVIDIA uh, as well too. Uh, so those stocks, if you take all those stocks together, if you looked at the other 495 stocks in the S&P, they underperformed the index by almost 600 basis points for the year. That is, that is a terrible year for an active manager. But if you owned all 495 of those stocks, that's what you did. You needed to own those five stocks. So it's, the point here is it's a very narrow rally. Big, huge tech stocks were up big this year. Not the ARK stocks. Those are different stocks. Uh, but And everything else lagged. And the smaller they got, the worse they did. And when you get to the small cap index, they actually lost you money over the last 10 months. And the rest of the world barely broke even. So Jim, can we switch gears and talk a little bit about the role excess savings played in the rally since the pandemic began? Yeah, and this gets to this idea why I picked March 15th. So the first chart here shows the monthly savings rate. Now, what is the monthly savings rate? The way you calculate savings is you go total personal income, how much money you made in a month, that's your paycheck, which is the dominant thing, and whatever dividends or capital gains you might have taken in the month as well too less the amount of spending that you've done. And in terms of the spending that you've done, um, during the pandemic, people stopped spending in, this, in 2020. That's why you see the savings rate after March of 2020 shoot up to like four or $500 billion a month uh, that you've seen, and then it started to trail off. On that, I drew a trend line. I looked at from 2013 to 2020, right before the uh, pandemic, what was the trend of savings? And that trend line does a very good job of explaining that pre-pandemic period. So if you go to the next chart, what I show here is the same thing in the top panel, the monthly savings rate and that blue trend line chart that I showed in the previous chart. And then I calculate the difference, which I call monthly excess savings in the middle panel. And on the bottom panel, I show the cumulative of it. Two and a half trillion dollars of excess savings has been created. And 40% of it came in three months. Those are April 2020 when we got the $1,400 stimulus check. That is January of 21 when we got the $600 stimulus check was passed right before Christmas 2020. And that is March of 2021 when we got the $1,200 stimulus check, the last one from the American Recovery Act. That American Recovery Act was signed on March 11th, the first stimulus checks hit direct deposit accounts on March 15th. That's why I picked that date. Now, since that date, what you've seen is you've seen a tremendous amount of, of money uh, going into the market and into spending. So let me start with spending. If you go to the next chart, this shows on this, now I'm switching to spending here because I want to talk about where did that excess savings go? And what it shows here is the blue line shows you total personal consumption. All the stuff we buy, whether it's services or things uh, as well. And in total, we bought about $16.4 trillion worth of stuff. The gray line is, again, the pre-pandemic trend line of the stuff we bought. And the bottom chart shows the residual, the difference between the trend line and what we bought. And you could see in March that the amount of stuff, consumption, excess consumption, took off and it's just gone higher and higher and higher 
and we're buying more than a trillion dollars above the trend. That coincides with the last stimulus check, and that also coincides with stuff like we're talking about with supply chain uh, um, shortages, supply chain problems, because we have shifted our spending pattern so hard, so fast, nothing can keep up. And that started with that March 15th, the uh, last stimulus check. In other words, attitudes seem to change. And if you go to the next chart, uh, what, we didn't spend all of the money, all that 2.4 trillion of, of, of uh, excess savings on stuff. We invested a lot of it. So this shows the cumulative flows into equity ETFs in blue and into bond ETFs in orange. And I put two lines on the chart because these are the seminal events for investors. The vaccine announcement on March 9th, 2020, when uh, Pfizer BioNTech said, we have a vaccine in trial, looks pretty good. The market wasted no time, took off, never looked back, said, that's it, we're getting a vaccine, uh, pandemic over. Uh, little did they know what we'd be dealing with 14 months later. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, that March uh, 15th date is on there too. But notice what happened. The trend in money going into the bond market didn't change. It was the same as it was pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. But there's a bit of a right turn of the money that went into the stock market. Now, what that says is there wasn't a rotation. Everybody out of everything else and everybody in the stocks. There was some new source of money, and that is what I believe was the excess savings. And welcome to 2022. When people say, I want to buy stocks or I want to invest in the stock market, what they mean is the S&P 500 ETF. That's pretty much all they mean. And, and a third of that is like the top seven or eight stocks, the FANG stocks plus Tesla, NVIDIA, and Microsoft is about a third of the S&P. Now, if they want to get fancy and they say, okay, well, of course I'll buy the S&P ETF, but what else should I invest in? They buy options on Tesla or they buy options on Apple or they buy options on NVIDIA. And those individual company options and on certain days exceed the volume of the S&P 500 options contract, which was always number one for 20 years until this year as well too. But that's pretty much it. So that's why if you're not part of the index, you lag badly, you don't even beat the inflation rate. And if you're not one of the big, tap, big cap tech stocks that get extra juice because of all the options trading, and you're in the bottom half of the S&P, you lag as well too. So you've got all this money pouring into the market, and that has created this very narrow rally. Now, technicians will say to you, well, narrow rallies are not good because they, su they suggest the top. And I agree with that. That doesn't mean the top is today because we just pointed this out. It could be. It could be today. It could be in a year. It could be any time in between. But what it means is two things. One, this is usually what you see at the end of a rally, a very narrow move. And two, I know there's a narrative. Well, the market was up a lot and it means the economy's great. Well, okay, take out eight stocks or take out a hundred stocks at the top and what are you left with? Not a whole lot. I mean, what about the Russell 2000? A lot of people argue these are very cyclical small, small companies. These are still billion dollar companies, but they're not 20 or $30 billion companies. Uh, you know, that these companies are supposedly more economically sensitive than the big cap tech stocks and stuff, um, and they haven't beaten the inflation rate. So what's the message that the market is telling us? It's not bad, it's not recession, but it certainly ain't, man, the economy's all hitting on all cylinders and everything is great. There are some, some worries 
that the market is suggesting in there. And the final thing, if we get back up to that excess savings chart, uh, if you look at the middle panel of the excess savings chart, excess savings in October went negative. So all of this excess money that we've built up because we didn't spend and we got stimulus checks, we're back to trend. That doesn't mean we're out of savings. It means we're out of the excess above trend savings. So if the idea is, well, there's still this tidal wave of money that's coming towards the market, it's not there. Now, we could create a new tidal wave. Maybe Omicron becomes bad enough that people stop spending and then their savings go up. They, you know, they still roughly get the same paycheck, less spending, more savings. And in 2021, savings means buy SPY, the S&P 500 ETF. That's pretty much all everybody does. Or maybe it gets worrisome enough that there actually is another stimulus check that comes, which that can kick off excess savings. But short of that, we're out of excess savings. So I do think that doesn't mean the market has to crumble, but it does mean that the weight of the money is going to be harder to push it higher. And we've already seen from mid cap, small cap and the rest of the world, they're struggling to beat the inflation rate already. And that might be what we're going to see as we move forward with large cap stocks. So this narrow rally, I think it's been driven by money and excess savings and that excess savings is largely gone. So Jim, what's next? Any, uh, what do you foresee for 2022? You know, I, I'm, I'm gonna be consensus and say, <clears throat> what you're going to see is a lot of volatility in the marketplace. I think you're already beginning to see that in the beginning of the year. Yes, I wrote the piece last week that said, the first week of the year is one of the most volatile weeks of the year because markets are so institutionally oriented and everybody's preferred time period is one year. So December 31st, your, your performance period is over. You get paid a bonus or maybe not if you did poorly. And then you start anew on January 1st and then everybody rushes into their new ideas on January 1st. So you seem to have a lot of volatility. So that's a kind of a consensus view. And I think that that consensus view is going to probably be correct. The other view that I've got when we come to 2022 is going to be about the Fed. And I've held this view for a long time. Um, the polling data for the majority party, the Democrat party is terrible. They are really in the, in the approval rating for President Biden is not good. It's, he's down at Trump levels right now. And the polling is very clear. The number one issue in the country is not COVID or Omicron, it is inflation. And as a matter of fact, the day we're recording this, I put out another update um, uh, and I showed that the New York Times and CNBC both showed a new poll with not good numbers for the Democrats, not good numbers for Biden. And one asked, why is everybody so unhappy? Inflation is the reason. It's not Omicron, it's not anything else. And why is that? Because 40% of the country rents and has less than $1,000 in savings. Inflation hits every single one of them and they know it and they are not happy about it. Now, it might hit us that are own homes and it might hit us that have stock portfolios too, that our paycheck did not rise as much as inflation. Yeah, but look at how much my house went up. Look at how much my stock portfolio went up. I'm okay. Uh, and besides, I've got more money and I'm okay anyway. I've got some savings as well. So there's tremendous pressure on the Fed to do something about inflation. 
For 10 years, the Fed has said, well, if there's ever any unwanted inflation, we have the tools to deal with it. Okay, Jay, we've got unwanted inflation right now. So do something about it. So what I'm saying is the consensus on Wall Street is, oh, the Fed, the market is priced in three rate hikes, maybe working on a fourth. It's not going to be that much. Uh, I think it might be. I think that the Fed is going to be under intense pressure because the administration is already demanding they address inflation. They cannot go to these 40% with less than $1,000 and go, well, the Fed can't print chips and the stock market's doing okay, so that means the economy's okay. No, I'm going to the grocery store tomorrow. And if things are more expensive than they were two weeks ago, I'm going to hate you even more. You better stop that right now. And so that's why I think that the political pressure on the Fed is going to be so intense that what I'm leading up to is a Fed policy mistake, I think, is very high for 2022. They can argue all they want about transitory or supply chain kinks, but if they look aloof and don't look like they're dealing with this, it's going to be taken out on the Democrat Party. It would if the Republicans were in charge too. So I'm not trying to be partisan there. And the Democrat Party is going to beat on the Fed like a drum to at least look like you're doing something, which is code word for raise rates a couple of times. At least look like you're doing something. And that makes it very high for a policy mistake. Well, Jim, thanks for your thoughts today. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent offerings are Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science. For further information or any questions, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day.